When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major. Say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness, and all the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to leave a committed life, and that's all I want to say. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or a song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a Christian ought, if I can bring salvation to a world once wrought, if I can spread the message as the master taught, then my living will not be in vain. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. What's going on, Wild Black family? This is Vince. Glad to be back here with you. Listen, I know that Black History Month is officially over. They tried to limit us to 28 days, but that's not how we roll here on Wild Black. This is still Black History Month for us. And we're going to cap it with a conversation about powerful words from one king to another. That means this week we're talking to Martin Luther King III again. And he's bringing you amazingly powerful words from his father. He's delivering today the drum major instinct. That's the very last sermon that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. ever gave from the pulpit of Ebenezer as he was killed just a few months later. So I want you to listen up and listen closely as Martin, even emotional at times, brings you this powerful sermon. Pay attention. It's relevant today. It could be preached this past Sunday. Next Sunday, it's that relevant. And he does an amazing job of breaking down why it's so important after. I also want to give a nod to Women's History Month. We're technically in Women's History Month now, but don't worry. We've got a few dope episodes highlighting some amazing women doing some amazing things that will come to you for the rest of this month. But with that, I know Martin is ready. They're giving me the signal. So pay attention, listen up, and get these powerful words. Happy Black History Month, people. Peace. Good afternoon. Uh, I just want to uh, say I'm honored to to share uh, today uh, to be with Brother Darius again uh, as we talk about uh, the drum major instinct, a sermon that was delivered at Ebenezer Baptist Church by my father, Martin Luther King Jr. on February 4th, 1968. In fact, it was the last sermon 
that he preached at Ebenezer prior to his being killed in Memphis, Tennessee on April 4th of 1968. So I would like to start by sharing um, this message and then maybe talking a little bit about it because I believe it is certainly relevant today and probably will be relevant uh, throughout human existence. So I'm going to read verbatim the words, probably not with the inflections and intensity and inspiration of my dad, but I'm going to do the best I can. (laughs) All right, let's go. This morning, I would like to use as a subject from which to preach the drum major instinct. The drum major instinct and our text for the morning is taken from a very familiar passage in the 10th chapter as recorded by St. Mark. Beginning with the 35th verse of that chapter, we read these words. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou should do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on the left hand in the glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I'm baptized with shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand or on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And then Jesus goes on toward the end of the passage to say, But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. The setting is clear. James and John are making specific requests of the master. They had dreamed, as most of the Hebrews dream, of a coming king of Israel who would set Jerusalem free and establish his kingdom on Mount Zion and in righteousness rule the world. And they thought of Jesus as the kind of king, and they were thinking of that day when Jesus would would reign supreme as the new king of Israel, and they were saying, now when you establish a kingdom, let one of us sit on the right hand and the other one on the left hand of your throne. Now, very quickly, we would automatically condemn James and John, and we would say they were selfish. Why would they make such a selfish request? But before we condemn them too quickly, let us calmly and honestly take a look at ourselves, and we will discover that we too have those same basic desires for recognition, for importance, that same desire for attention, that same desire to be first. Of course, the other disciples got mad with James and John, and you can understand why, but we must understand that we have some of those same James and John qualities, and there is deep down within all of us an instinct It's kind of a drum major instinct, a desire to be out front, a desire to lead the parade, a desire to be first. And it's something that runs the whole gamut of life. And so before we condemn them, let us see that we all have the drum major instinct. We all want to be important 
to surpass others, to achieve distinction, to lead the praise. Alfred Adler, the great psychoanalyst, contends that this is the dominant impulse. Sigmund Freud used to contend that sex was the dominant impulse. And Adler came with a new argument saying that this quest for recognition, this desire for attention, this desire for distinction is the basic impulse, the basic drive of human life, this drum major instinct. And you know, we begin early to ask life to put us first. Our first cry as a baby was a bid for attention. And all through childhood, the drum major impulse or instinct is a major obsession. Children ask and like to be granted first place. They are little bundles of joy and little bundles of ego. And they have innately the drum major impulse of the drum major instinct. Now, in adult life, we still have it, and we really never get by it. We like to do something good, and you know we like to be praised for it. Now, if you don't believe that, you just go on living life, and you will discover very soon that you like to be praised. Everybody likes it. As a matter of fact, and somehow this warm glow we feel when we are praised or when our name is in print is something of vitamin H, our ego. Nobody is unhappy when they are praised, even if they know they don't deserve it, and even if they don't believe it. The only unhappy people about praise is when that praise is going too much towards somebody else. But everybody likes to be praised because of this real drum major instinct. Now, the presence of the drum major instinct is why so many people are joiners. You know, there are so many people who just join everything. And it's really a quest for attention and recognition and importance. And they get names that give them that impression. So you get your groups and they become the grand patron and the little follow, uh, excuse me, the little fellow who's impact at home uh, needs a chance to be the most worthy of the most worthy of something. It's the drum major impulse and longing that runs the gamut of human life. And so if we see ourselves, this quest for recognition, and we join things and overjoin, really uh, that we think that we will find that recognition in. Now, the presence of this instinct explains why we're so often taken by advertisers. You know, those gentlemen of massive verbal persuasion. And uh, they have a way of saying things to you that at State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. 
I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. To kind of get you into buying, in order to be a man of distinction, you must drink this whiskey. In order to make your neighbor envious, you must drive this type of car. In order to be uh, lovely to love, you must wear this kind of lipstick or this kind of perfume. And, you know, before you know it, you're just buying that stuff. That's the way the advertisers do it. I got a letter the other day, and it was a new magazine coming out, and it opened up. Dear Dr. King, as you know, you are on our mailing list, and you are categorized as highly intelligent, progressive a lover of the arts and sciences. And I know you will want to read what I have to say. Of course I did. After you said all of that and explained me so exactly, of course I want to read it. But very seriously, it goes through life. The drum major instinct is real. And you know what else it causes to happen? It often causes us to live above our means. There's nothing but the drum major instinct. Do you ever see people buy cars that they can't even begin to buy in terms of their income? You've seen people riding around in Cadillacs and Chryslers who don't earn enough to have a good Model T Ford, but it feeds a repressed ego. You know, economists tell us that your automobile should not cost more than half your annual income. So if you make an income of $5,000, your car should cost more than about $2,500. That's just good economics. And it's a family of two, and both members of the family make 10000 They would have to make out with one car. That would be good economics, although it's often inconvenient. But so often, haven't you seen people making $5,000 a year driving a car that costs 6000 And they wonder why their ends never meet. That's a fact. Now, the economists also say if you're buying a house, it shouldn't cost more than twice your income. That's based on the economy and how you make ends meet. So if you have an income of $5,000, it's kind of difficult in this society, but it's a family with an income of $10,000, the house shouldn't cost much more than $20,000. I've seen folks making $10,000 living in a $40,000 and $50,000 house, and you know they're barely making it. They get a check every month uh, somewhere, and they owe all of that out before it comes in never have anything to put away for a rainy day. But now the problem is the drum major instinct. And you know, you see people over and over again with the drum major instinct taking them over. And they just live their lives trying to outdo the Joneses. They got to get this coat because this particular coat is a little better and a little better looking than Mary's coat. And I got to drive this car because there's something about this car that makes my car a little better than my neighbor's car. I know a man who used to live in a $35,000 house and other people started building $35,000 houses. So he built a $75,000 house and then somebody else built a $75,000 house and he built a $100,000 house. And I don't know where he's going to end up or if he's going to live his life trying to keep up with the Joneses. There comes a time that the drum major instinct can become destructive. And that's where I want to move now. I want to move to the point of saying, that if this instinct is not harnessed, it becomes a very dangerous, pernicious instinct. For instance, 
If it isn't harnessed, it causes one's personality to become distorted. I guess that's the most uh, damaging aspect of it, what it does to the personality. If it isn't harnessed, you will end up day in and day out trying to deal with your ego problem by boasting. Have you ever heard people that you know, and I'm sure you've met them, that really become sickening because they just sit up all the time talking about themselves? And they just boast and boast and boast. And that's the person who has not harnessed the drum major instinct. And then it does other things to the personality. It causes you to lie about who you know sometimes. There are some people who are influence peddlers. And in their attempt to deal with the drum major instinct, they have to try to identify with the so-called big name people. And if you're not careful, they will make you think they know somebody that they don't really know. They know them well. They sip tea with them. And this and that, that happens to people. And the other thing is that it causes one to engage ultimately in activities that are merely used to get attention. Criminologists tell us that some people are driven to crime because of the drum major instinct. They don't feel that they are getting enough attention through the normal channels of social behavior. So they turn to anti-social behavior in order to get attention, in order to feel important. And so they get that gun, and before they know it, they robbed a bank in a quest for recognition, in a quest for importance. And then the final great tragedy of the distorted personality is the fact that when one fails to harness the instinct, he ends up trying to push others down in order to push himself up. And whenever you do that, you engage in some of the most vicious activities. You will spread evil, vicious lies, gossip on people because you're trying to pull them down in order to push yourself up. And the great issue of life is to harness the drum major instinct. Now, the problem is when you don't harness the drum major instinct, this uncontrolled aspect of it is that it leads to snobbish exclusivism. It leads to snobbish activities. It, it, it just causes you to act like you're above everybody else. And you know, this is the danger of social clubs The danger is that they can become forces of classism and exclusivism, where somehow you get a degree of satisfaction because you're in something exclusive. And that's fulfilling something, you know, that I'm in this fraternity and it's the best fraternity in the world and everybody can't get in this fraternity. So it ends up, you know, a very exclusive kind of thing. And, you know, that can happen with the church. I know churches get in that binds sometimes. I've been to churches, you know, and and they say we have so many doctors and so many school teachers and so many lawyers and so many businessmen in our church. And that's fine because doctors need to go to church. Lawyers and businessmen and teachers, they ought to be in church. And the church is the one place where a doctor ought to forget that he's a doctor. The church is the one place where a PhD ought to forget that he's a PhD. The church is the one place that the school teacher ought to forget the degree she has behind her name. The church is the one place where the lawyer ought to forget that he's a lawyer. And any church that violates the whosoever will let him come doctrine is a dead, cold church and nothing but a little social club with a thin veneer of religiosity. Too much fake religion is how I'll define it. When the church is true to its nature, it says whosoever will let him come. It does not supposed to satisfy the perverted use of the drum major instinct. 
It's the one place where everybody should be the same standing before a common master and savior. And a recognition grows out of this, that all men are brothers because they're children of a common father. The drum major instinct can lead to exclusivism in one's thinking and can lead one to feel that because he has some training, he's a little better than that person who doesn't have it. Or because he has some economic security, that he's a little better than that person who doesn't have it. And that's the uncontrolled, perverted use of the drum major instinct. Now, the other thing is that it leads to tragic, and we've seen it happen so often, tragic racial prejudice. Many who have written about this problem, Lillian Smith used to say it beautifully in some of her books. And she would say it to the point of getting men and women to see the source of the problem. Do you know that a lot of the race problem grows out of the drum major instinct? A need that some people have to feel superior. A need that some people have to feel that they are first. And to feel that their white skin ordained them to be first. And they have said over and over again in ways that we see with our own eyes. In fact, not too long ago, a man down in Mississippi said that God was a charter member of the White Citizens Council. And so God being the charter member means that everybody who's in that has a kind of divinity, a kind of superiority. And think of what has happened in history as a result of this perverted use of the drum major instinct. It has led to the most tragic prejudice, the most tragic expressions of man's inability to man. The other day I was uh, saying I always try to do a little converting when I'm in jail. And when we were in the jail in Birmingham the other day, the white wardens enjoyed coming around the cell to talk about the race problem. And they were showing us where we were so wrong demonstrating. And they were showing us where segregation was so right. And they were showing us where intermarriage was so wrong. So I would get to preaching and we would get to talking calmly because they wanted to talk about it. And then we got down one day to the point was the second or third day to talk about it, where they lived and how much they were earning. And when these brothers told me what they were earning, I said, you know what? You ought to be marching with us. You just as poor as Negroes. And I said, you are put in the position of supporting your oppressor because through prejudice and blindness, you fail to see that the same forces that oppress Negroes in American society oppress poor whites. And all you are living on is the satisfaction of your skin being white and the drum major instinct of thinking that you are somebody big because you're white. And you are so poor, you can't send your children to school. You ought to be out here marching with us every time we have a march. Now, that's a fact. That poor white has been put in this position where through blindness and prejudice, see, he is forced to support his oppressors. And the only thing he has going for him is the false feeling that he's superior because his skin is white and he can't hardly eat and make ends meet week in and week out. And not only does this thing go into racial struggle, it goes into the struggle between nations. And I would submit to you this morning that what's wrong in the world today is the nations of the world are engaged in a bitter, colossal contest for supremacy. And if something doesn't happen to stop this trend, I'm sorely afraid 
that we won't be here to talk about Jesus Christ and about God and about brotherhood too many more years. If somebody doesn't bring an end to this suicidal thrust that we see today in the world, none of us are going to be around because somebody's going to make the mistake through our senseless blunderings of dropping a nuclear bomb somewhere, and then another one is going to drop. And don't let anybody fool you. This can happen within a matter of seconds. They have 20 megaton bombs in Russia now that can destroy a city as big as New York in three seconds with everybody wiped out in every building. And we can do the same thing to Russia and China. But this is why we're drifting. And we're drifting there because nations are caught up with the drum major instinct. I must be first. I must be supreme. Our nation must rule the world. And I'm sad to say that the nation in which we live is the supreme culprit. And I'm going to continue to say it to America because I love this country too much to see the drift that it is taking. God didn't call America to do what she's doing in the world now. God didn't call America to get engage in senseless, unjust wars as the war in Vietnam. And we are criminal in that war. We've committed more war crimes against almost than any nation in the world. And I'm going to continue to say it, and we won't stop it because of our pride and our arrogance as a nation. But God has a way of even putting nations in their place. The God that I worship has a way of saying, don't play with me. He has a way of saying, as the God of the Old Testament used to say to the Hebrews, don't play with me, Israel. Don't play with me, Babylon. Be still and know that I am God. And if you don't stop your reckless course, I'll rise up and break the backbone of your power. And that can happen to America. Every now and then I go back and read Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. And when I come and look at America, I say to myself, the parallels are frightening. And we have perverted the drum major instinct. But let me rush to my conclusion because I want you to see what Jesus was really saying. What was the answer that Jesus gave these men? It's very interesting. One would have thought that Jesus would have condemned them. One would have thought that Jesus would have said, you're out of place. You're out of your place. You're selfish. Why would you raise such a question? But that isn't what Jesus did. He did something altogether different. He said in substance, oh, I see. You want to be first. You want to be great. You want to be important. You want to be significant. Well, you ought to be. If you're going to be my disciple, you must be. But he reordered the priorities, and he said, yes, don't give up this instinct. It's a good instinct if you use it right. It's a good instinct if you don't distort it and pervert it. Don't give it up. Keep feeling the need for being important. Keep feeling the need for being first. But I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in moral excellence. I want you to be first in generosity. This is what I want you to do. And he transformed the situation by giving a new definition of greatness. And you know what he said? He said, now, brethren, I can't give you greatness. And really, I can't make you first. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
This is what Jesus said to James and John. You must earn it. True greatness comes not by favoritism, but by fitness. And the right hand and the left hand are not mine to give. They belong to those who are prepared. And so Jesus gave a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. And this morning, the thing I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. I know a man, and I just want to talk about him a minute, and maybe you will discover who I'm talking about as I go down the way, because he was a great one. He just went about serving. He was born in an obscure village the child of a poor peasant woman. And then he grew up and still in another obscure village where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30 years old. Then for three years, he just got on his feet and he was an itinerant preacher. He went about doing some things. He didn't have much. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never owned a house. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never went 200 miles from where he was born. He did none of the usual things that the world would associate with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. They called him a rabble rouser. They called him a troublemaker. They said he was an agitator. He practiced civil disobedience. He broke injunctions. And so he was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. And the irony of it all is that his friends turned him over to them. One of his closest friends denied him. Another of his friends turned him over to his enemies. And while he was dying, the people who killed him gambled for his clothing, the only possession that he had in the world. When he was dead, he was buried in a borrowed tomb through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he stands as one of the most influential figures that ever entered human history. All of the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. His name may be familiar, a familiar one, but today I can hear them talking about him. Every now and then, someone says, he's king of kings. And again, I can hear someone saying, he's Lord of lords. Somewhere else, I can hear somebody saying, in Christ, there's no east nor west. And then they go on and talk about, in him, there's no north and south, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide world. He didn't have anything. He just went around serving and doing good. This morning, you can be on his right hand and on his left hand, 
if you serve. It's the only way in. Every now and then, I guess when we all think realistically about the day that we will be victimized with what is life's final common denominator, that's something that we call death. We all think about it, and every now and then, I think about my own death, and I think about my own funeral. And I don't think about it in a morbid sense. And every now and then, I ask myself, what is it that I will want said? And I leave the word to you this morning. If any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. If you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. And every now and then, I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or 400 other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. Uh, Excuse me, I'm sorry. Martin, you all right. Take your time, brother. Take your time, brother. I know it had to be. I was listening to the words, and I had a couple tears in my eyes just thinking about how powerful those really are, man. You okay. are good, and I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, time. My, my apologies. None, none needed, man. Yeah. I, I, I shed a tear this morning for my father. I lost 12 years ago, mm. uh, so I know the pain. Just, just mm. take a few moments, and okay. we're here. All right. I'd like for somebody to say that day, that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the war question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. And I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness, and all the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to leave a committed life, and that's all I want to say. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or a song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a Christian ought, if I can bring salvation to a world once wrought, if I can spread the message as the master taught, then my living will not be in vain. Yes, Jesus, I want to be on your right or your left side, not for any selfish reason. I want to be on your right or your left side, not in terms of some political kingdom or ambition, but I just want to be there in love and justice and in truth and in commitment to others so that we can make of this old world, a new world. Those are the words of the sermon that Martin Luther King Jr. delivered on February 4th of 1968 at Ebenezer Baptist Church.
And uh, I want to tie this in to sort of where we might be today as a nation, because I, I do believe that it is prevalent. And while all of us have this sort of drum major instinct and want to lead the parade, we see it reflected just about every, not just about every day in society. Someone is saying that they are the leader. I'm leading. I, I'm at the head of the parade. I'm at the, I am the drum major who we know leads the parade or leads the band, I should say. But what my father was saying is, is, is crystal clear. And he certainly exemplified a harnessed instinct and chose to say, yes, you know, if I would love to be a drum major, but drum major for justice. And in our nation, in our world today, we have the triple evils that he talked about eradicating. He called them the evil of poverty, the evil of racism, and the evil of militarism, he said, which I have sort of changed to violence. And I do believe that when we collectively as a nation and as a world community are working together, we can end poverty in America. We can end racism. And we can certainly reduce dramatically violence. We as a human species, God's highest creation, if we choose to, there's nothing we cannot do. We have the ability and we see it with technology. Dad used to say, we can swim the seas as fish. We can fly in the air like birds, but we haven't learned the basic concept of getting along as human beings. And when we learn that, then in a nation that has a multi-trillion dollar economy, we will be able to eliminate poverty. In a nation that has unlimited ideas, we will be able to abolish racism. In a nation that has an unlimited amount of abundance, we can certainly conquer, again, this thing called poverty. We have the ability to do most anything. We just have not identified the will. When ability and will meet, it yields results. We're living in some very difficult but yet interesting times. There are many people, many, far more than statistical data tells us. The average statistical data will tell us that there are about 45 million people living in poverty. That's what the statisticians state. But if you talk to Reverend William Barber and so many others, some of the institutions, the schools that look at the data, there are over 100 million people who are living. That's a third of America's population that are living at the poverty level, who are working sometimes two and three jobs, but they still can't make enough to make ends meet. And we're debating about raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, which is, would be great, but it still is not enough in some cases. However, if we did that, and it's the small business people who basically are saying they can't afford to do it. Well, how many people realize that we subsidize these major corporations 
whether it's the agribusiness or whether it is the munitions business, whether it was the auto industry. Remember, we bailed the auto industry out. We bailed these multi-billion dollar and trillion dollar banks out just a few years ago. How come we cannot help subsidize the small businesses so that they can provide the $15 to help bring the standard of living up for the poor in our nation? My only point is we can do this. It takes leadership. It takes compassion. It takes vision. It takes you and I working together. No one organization will ever be able to to do it alone. But we can make it happen if we choose to. And so this sermon about transforming society, transforming our world, using the drum major instinct to fortify and exhibit love, using it to exhibit justice, using it to exhibit peace. It can be done. And that's what my father sort of gave his life for and and showed us through many of his teachings, his sermons. And it did not matter. In this context, he was talking about Jesus and Christianity. But he also understood Islam, and he understood Judaism, and he understood Buddhists and Hindu, and he understood agnostics and atheists. So he understood that we are a community. In fact, his last book was, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? I would hope people would embrace it and start reading it, because he talked about in the last chapter of that book, or next to the last chapter, the world house, and how the world is becoming smaller and smaller, just like we can reach millions of people with the tap of a computer or an iPad or even our phones because of technology today, uh, these uh, super fiber optic highways that can reach millions of people, which give us the capacity to create change. But again, we have to want to do these things. And it doesn't mean you can't make money. I want people to make all the money that they can. But I am convinced, certainly in my nation, first and foremost, we can set an example. And my nation is our nation. We call it the United States of America. Everybody in the United States of America ought to be able to have a decent home. A decent home does not have to be a 5,000 square foot home, but it has to have certain standards. Everybody in America should be able to have a decent home. Everybody should be able to have the best education because this nation has some of the most educated people on the planet, but everyone should be uh, able to have that. Everyone should be able to have health care in the United States of America. No one should suffer because of the lack of health care. And we're dealing with a pandemic now and people are dying every day, many who've been essential workers. While some of us have been able to shelter in place, many of our brothers and sisters have had to labor 24-7. But everyone should be able to have the best health care. Everyone should be able to have a decent job and everyone should be able to have justice. And I don't believe that there's a shortness of creating these conditions other than a shortness of desire. When that desire is there, as I said, ability meets will, you yield results. Thanks, Martin. We appreciate that. Wild Black Family, he ended with the words yielding results. And when you think about it, 
That's what this entire month has been about. That's why we have tried so hard to connect you to these powerful words from our past. Because the people who spoke them, who wrote them, who delivered them, were intent on creating real change. It's the same change that we're after today. And, and that doesn't mean that we've been ineffective, but it does mean we can be more effective. It does mean that we can pay attention to the impact, to the successes, and to the failures of people from our past, people from our history who are after the same thing. We study what they've done. We apply what's worked. We learn from what hasn't worked. And we apply pressure on the establishment, on the leadership, on anyone who would oppress us today, anyone who would stand in our way, anyone who would oppose our freedoms to their fullest extent. We use these lessons learned to make ground, to make progress, to make change. So with that, I won't hold you much longer. Thank you for rocking with us through this Black History Month series. This powerful words thing has been amazing. There were times I didn't think it was going to come together, but thank God it did. I want to thank the Harvard Debate Council Diversity Project, Tamika Mallory, David Banner, and Martin Luther King III for their time, for their words, and for their work. Each of those organizations and people is appreciated and create a tremendous impact on our world today. Make sure you go research them. Make sure you go learn about them and make sure you go support them. Thank you for sticking with us at Wild Black. Thank you for allowing us to enter your homes. Thank you for allowing us to work with you, to teach you, and to inspire you. Please stay with us. We got a whole lot more coming. Again, we are now in Women's History Month, and we've got some dope episodes coming up that feature women who are doing amazing things in this world and in this community. So with that, Wild Black, I'm out. Peace. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.